Coming up in this episode, then you will thrive the same way that if you change your your food, what you eat, to something that is biologically and evolutionarily relevant to who you are metabolically and physiologically, you will thrive. You do that with movement, you will thrive even more. That's a fascinating thesis there. I think that's it stands a lot of reason where mastering natural movement as a precursor to sports-specific technique makes a lot of sense, right? Like there's just a primacy of what is evolutionarily you're biomechanically designed for and mastering that to then be sports specific seems like a nice ordering of operations. Welcome to the HVMN podcast. What we do with our bodies today becomes the foundation of who we are tomorrow. This is Health via Modern Nutrition. Erwin, really a pleasure to have you on the HVMN podcast. Thanks for having me, Jeff. But a little bit before that, we're going live here. We were talking about a lot of the similar philosophical roots of how we've been thinking about overall human health and performance. And as a background, a lot of longtime listeners of the HVM podcast know that our initial starting point was very much focused on nutrition, fasting, ketogenic diets, as really a return or reclamation to our ancestral evolutionary roots as humans, as a way to induce better health outcomes. And as I've personally gone on this journey over the last five, six years, looking at how to optimize human performance and metabolism, nutrition is one component of that overall mission. And as I've gotten more and more into fitness, physiology, sports physiology, and movement, I felt like my journey has really intersected with a lot of the movements and ideas that you've created as part of the natural movement community. So, Maybe that's a really good way to start off this conversation. Uh, really, you know, awesome to see what you've created over the years now, and wanted to get a sense of your philosoph- your philosophical beginnings of how you came to this concept in the first place. Philosophically, it uh, it came later in my life, but as a reality of of natural movement, that's something I started really early in my life. Uh, as a matter of fact, we all do because we all start to to move on the floor. Um, before we can even stand, and we do it instinctively without any instruction. That's, that happens before we even start to form uh, thoughts with words, structured thoughts, uh, or even understand language. So natural movement is a part of who we are. It's, it's instinctive, and it starts really early on. Then uh, usually, uh, at least in, in two days of modern lifestyle, a lot of most children will be invited to stop moving naturally. There will be all kind of restrictions to how much they can move, where they can move, when they can move, how they can move. All kind of conventions are going to limit our natural movement, physical expression, which is a shame because it is not uh, to our advantage, obviously, neither physiologically, physically, or even uh, psychologically and mentally or emotionally. Because natural movement is it's a huge part of who we are. And if that instinctive drive for, for movement is overly restricted, then we, we suffer in the way we feel, including in the way we develop physiologically and even uh, uh, cognitively. Um, so before it is a philosophy it unfortunately it is a fact which means that we don't need as humans when we're very young we don't need to think about it to do it and 
It's just like everything that we do when we're very young, instinctively, without having to think about it or without needing instruction, it's always a sign that that behavior is a true physiological need. It's a true biological need. It's a true natural need. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. Right? So whatever we do that does not wait for instruction, verbal instruction or thought or philosophy, and that we do is definitely, is, we can be sure it's something not only natural, it's something necessary. I think it makes a lot of sense as you just step back and think from first principles, why did our physiological biomechanics evolve in a certain way? And it stands a reason that, and I think you have a really nice analogy in your book, a tiger doesn't train to be a tiger. It just flourishes in its natural environment. And humans, we are also animals. And it's uh, it should be instinctual how to be a healthy human. Um, so I think from a philosophical standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. But as you were growing and, and learning and creating the principles of natural movement, was there a seminal moment for you where you realized that the modern social cultural constructs of movement have really restricted us to, to, to really move naturally. I mean, I think from my perspective, the seminal moment for me was realizing that the modern nutritional guidelines seem to be failing most of our civilization today, right? Diabetes, uh, obesity rates are skyrocketing and it's, often and, and it seems to be getting worse over time not better with more availability to nutrition which is very counterintuitive and i think that initial insight led me down the path of looking at more science evidence-driven ways to actually look at nutrition and i think that interest has bled off into physical movement as well where it didn't make sense intuitively to sit on my butt eight hours a day in front of a computer uh and that got me interested in a lot of the concepts that you talk a lot about. Was there, so, so my question to you is that, was there a seminal moment where all these um, things snapped no. into play for, for you? I, I wish that I had this story of, and then I realized, and then there was that voila, epiphany moment where it changed entirely my perception and therefore it changed my behaviors and therefore it changed my life. It didn't happen that way. Everything has been a continuum. Very early on, um, I moved naturally. Very early on, I was lucky that my parents took me on long hikes in the woods. And not only they actually encouraged me to move naturally. They encouraged me to climb the rocks, to climb the trees, to jump off, to get dirty. They encouraged me to take those risks, which is today has become something rare, actually, because of that helicopter parenting that, again, uh, restrict most people from nature, from being in true direct contact with nature, with dirt, with, with, with animals, with, uh, with plants, with trees, with rocks, with what's, what's unknown to us, what has become unknown to us. And then also the behaviors that we have, like natural movement, we can't even do it even indoors, even in these artificial environments where most people grow up now. Um, for, for the most part, those behaviors of, we're talking about what's natural movement. We're talking about jumping and landing and, and vaulting and hanging and climbing and lifting and throwing things and running and, and balancing and, and doing all these things, right? Um, kids will do it, young kids at least, before they are, 
contaminated with electronics to the point of being completely obsessed with those or already at an early age. Right. Now we see uh, kids three years old with phones and iPads nonstop. They're glued on it. Um, and so modern human now lives in these uh, artificial environments. Even in these artificial environments, young kids that still have those instincts for natural movement will climb on the table, jump off the table, crawl under the table, vault over the couch, create a whole imaginary context where it's not an apartment. Uh, it's not a house. It's something else. It's, uh, it's outside, basically. It's nature. It's maybe some imaginary uh, place with dangers and with opportunities. They recreate what was once there in their, in, in, in everybody's uh, childhood, and that isn't there anymore. So I was enabled and encouraged to maintain it, and so I did. And of course, I did realize early on as well that around me, uh, most adults did not enjoy the movement I, I enjoyed and wanted to restrict me. They wanted to restrict me in school. They wanted to restrict me for whatever reason. Um, uh, it's never the right place. It's never the right time. It's never, never the right kind of movement. And so um, to, to most people today, it's just like nutrition. Okay. If your whole life, from early on, you maybe you've been fed baby formula, which is not real mother milk. Okay, it's just an industrial formula. Um, and then you eat, you're gonna eat granola in the morning. And then you get, it's industrial granola, uh, industrial orange juice. All your food is is processed and, and industrial, unfortunately. And one day, as a grown up. You realize, wait, I have a job or I have a startup, I have a company, I want to be productive, I want to be on top of it. So it's not just my work, it's everything around it. And if I improve that, then I might improve my success, my career, all of that. And then all of a sudden you realize, wait, I've been eating wrong my whole life. So you're going to make changes about it. And usually the changes you make are return to nature, are return to something healthy. When you realize the potential it has, then it's the same epiphany. You realize that something has been missing, which is not an intake for your metabolism to process. It's a behavior that stems from within, how you move or how you don't move, that is going to trigger uh, changes physiologically and changes connectively to help you feel better, have higher levels of energy, and therefore to perform better in your work. Exactly. And I think that's what is the mind worm here, where once you start seeing the cracks with how modern civilization has created a construct, which I think is really designed to optimize for societal productivity, and, and, and which is oftentimes orthogonal or separate from the goals of individual happiness and health, you start seeing that crack, then you start seeing where are all the behaviors that are given to us, where are they wrong, right? Nutrition, movement, and I think you referenced it. Maybe there's so many other aspects of spirituality, uh, relationships, our, our purpose, our meaning that need to be re-looked at or rethought of it from a first principles perspective. So I thought that was really interesting from you that your story is that you never just learned the bad habits. You grew up as a kid having natural movement, being instinctual with your movement, 
and you just never got that beaten out of you. Um, but maybe my follow-up question there is, when was the moment for you to say, hey, I want to make this my life purpose, or one of my most important things is to really exponent and advocate for this uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, for this notion of natural movement. Obviously, one could you know still do a job, like be a banker, be a software engineer, and do this personally. What was the seminal moment for you where this is like, hey, this is the most important thing that I need to do for my life? So I've had two moments. One was when I was 15. And it is when I was 15, I started to do karate. And uh, I really became passionate and trained really hard and trained, trained very consistently. Um, to improve my performance, I started to look at other areas of my lifestyle. That's when I started to be interested in performance nutrition or breathing. Then it was when I was 36 and 37, and um, I realized that all the work that I have done, all the, the training, the experimentations, everything that I have done until then, I, it was time for me to start sharing it. It, was, it had enough value um, for me to find ways to, to, to share it. And that was 36, so that was 12 years ago. And so that's what I did. That's what I did. And, uh, and early on, I, I became successful with it because I realized that I had uh, knowledge and insights that was, uh, I was not there, that was, uh, that was missing, uh, especially in the, when it comes to movement, to, to movement practice and to a different way to look at fitness. When I was doing my training, say in a park, and if some people were around, Nobody would understand back then what is it that I was doing because I was not doing conventional drills. I was not doing push-ups, um, like trying to isolate target muscles. I was uh, climbing a tree, jumping up the tree to roll, to sprint, to a vault, to this kind of, of natural movements. And uh, when you see a, an adult doing that, other adults don't understand, they, they, especially if you're like in your 30s doing it, and uh, in my 40s, almost reaching my 50s, it's something that a lot of people will, will scratch your head. Uh, they, scratch, they will scratch their head wondering what it is, right? So that you could be in the same place and somebody else my age would be doing, say, yoga or tai chi or capoeira or whatever, and that would, would be perfectly fine because they would be able to identify what it is. But if you, if you see somebody doing natural movement, then people stop and they're, they're wondering. And my realization was that the most ancient, the most natural physical behavior that is, which I coined as natural movement, does not have a name, a place, a recognition uh, in today's society, at least did not. And it became my personal mission to make that happen. Fascinating. It reminds me a little bit of Bruce Lee's philosophy of martial arts, where his style is no style. You just incorporate all the different techniques from all the different disciplines to have, you know, to, to be that style that's just most effective. So, to help folks who might not be aware of the natural movement, it would be helpful to get a sense of hearing from you how you define it. Um, I think just from your previous 
your, your thoughts there where in, in standard athletic training, people are often used to seeing machines that are very, very targeted specific muscle groups. I think people are familiar with push-ups, pull-ups, these types of calisthenics. I would say that more advanced athletes, you know, do more, much more compound movements like Olympic powerlifting or things that are a little bit more complex, a little bit free movement, as opposed to just having a fixed machine targeting just the bicep, for example. What would you say would be the core principles behind uh, natural movement? How would you define it? And how does one start introducing themselves uh, of incorporating this into their lifestyle? You guys have been exposed to a variety of programs, fitness program and training protocols or or options in the way you could do what's called exercise or sport. Okay, so everybody knows that sports is good, physical activity is good. Everybody talks about it, everybody says it, everybody knows it, and yet most people don't do it. And as a matter of fact, the whole fitness industry is busy always trying to come up with new programs and new options to get people motivated, to get people to want to be physically active so that they can sell them a program. And you, on the other end, are looking at all your options and sometimes like, okay, forget about it. I'm not not even sure. I don't know what I want. I don't know what I'm going to enjoy. I don't even know what results I should... uh, look for if i go for that program i'll get that kind of result if i go for that other program i'll get that other results you know do i need strength do i need cardio do i need flexibility uh, do i need movement skills do i need just fun and dance it's just it's a lot it just it's similar with nutrition right if you look at what you should eat that is healthy in the end it's very simple but if you go in a supermarket and you have dozens of aisles with full of hundreds or thousands of diverse packaged foods and you become confused as of what is good for you and what is it that you should put in your basket, in your cart. Okay. So what is natural movement? How would you train a tiger? How would you train a dolphin? How would you train any wild animal for that matter? And would that make sense that you should place them, you know, plunk them in a gym? And that you should try to isolate the muscles. So you would try to isolate the muscles of a tiger to make him strong. And then you would make sure to tell the tiger, don't skip leg day. And then um, you would put them on another machine for cardio. And then in the end, you would have them do a bit of, of, uh, of mobility, you know, stretching. And then you'll be like, okay, now you're ready. Go, go back to the jungle and you can hunt something, make a living. You're fit. That wouldn't make any sense. No sense at all. It seems absurd. But the question is, why is it that it makes sense Yeah, that us? seems absurd. What led us to believe that whereas it's not at all the proper way for any wild animal to try to train themselves that way physically because you just want to tell them just keep on moving move like a tiger move like a dolphin move like an eagle you'll be fit like a tiger you'll be fit like a dolphin you'll be fit like an eagle and as a matter of fact wild animals do not await for the latest scientific discovery of you know kinesiology or whatever protocol 
to be extremely fit and to stay alive and to stay healthy and to hunt or to not be hunted and just to procure food and do everything they need to do. Why is it that it becomes so complex for us? Why? Why is it that we have to compartmentalize everything? Why is it that we too do not see that we too have our own natural movement? And that nat that natural movement is made of specific skills, movement skills. So whereas the tiger can walk and step and run and sprint and uh, you know hold a prey in their in their in their mouth and drag them, they have all this, this crazy power. What is it that we can do? What, what is our natural movement? Well, the answer is very simple. Look at the way you used to, to move when you were a kid, the way you wanted to move when you were a kid, and that's it. You got it. You wanted to crawl. You wanted to then you wanted to stand so you could walk, so you could run, so that you could jump and land. You wanted to hang so you could climb. You wanted to balance. You wanted to lift and carry things and throw and toss and catch things. You wanted to do all these things. You wanted to get in the water. You wanted to explore diverse environments uh, you wanted to have fun well you just it wasn't just about having fun what you wanted actually was to explore a capability so that you would challenge your capability so you would become actually capable and the whole goal of your instinct for natural movement is that you become autonomous physically so you become ideally a grown-up that is capable of all these diverse movement skills, regardless of environment, you're not moving and doing these movements when you're a kid. So that you can just stand, walk a few steps to the next seat. Where you're going to sit for hours, do your work, then feeling tired, stand up, walk a few steps, go commute so they can be home and sit again in your couch because you're feeling tired. Right? That was not the, the, the program. That, that is not the reason why you move naturally when you're a kid. You move naturally when you're a kid so you can become a very capable human being, ultimately, who can climb trees, who can jump off and, uh, and, and over obstacles, who can crawl through obstacles, who can run on distances, who can help oneself, who is not physically helpless to oneself or physically, physically helpless to others in time of need, that it is in day-to-day -day situations or that it is in complex, challenging situations. That's what it is. Physical exercise, fitness programs are not the reason why you can move naturally. Natural movement and moving naturally is the reason why you are able to engage in any sports, any specialized sports or specific fitness program. And that is a very important truth. Natural movement precedes it all. It is that powerful. It is that true. And if you re-engaged in that original natural movement of yours that is truly universal to all human beings, then you will thrive. The same way that if you change your, your food, what you eat, to something that is biologically and evolutionarily relevant to who you are metabolically and physiologically, you will thrive do that with movement you will thrive more. that's a fascinating thesis there and i think that's it, it stands a lot of reason where mastering natural movement as a precursor to sports specific technique makes a lot of sense right like there's just a primacy of what is 
evolutionarily you're biomechanically designed for and mastering that to then be sports specific seems like a nice ordering of operations. One thing that I was reflecting on as you were describing natural movement was this notion of the human zoo, that the description of essentially everyone in modern civilization is in a box 99% of the time, and we barely move in between the various boxes that we sit in, whether that's our office, our home, uh, in, our, in our car. These are just boxes that we just commute around in, oftentimes in the same seated position. Um, so, if you had a magic wand to redictate what our natural environments look like, and, and you're describing crawling through tunnels, climbing trees, scrambling around. Um, what does that then prescribe for people, right? Like essentially we're, we're talking about a prescription of how our society should be set up. Does that mean that uh, as opposed to, you know, focusing our time within these boxes, do we try to be climbing monkey bars, running around, scrambling up hills? Um, what does that, how does that translate from a philosophical perspective to, uh, okay, now I'm a listener listening to Erwin and Jeff talk very nicely on the philosophy and the, and the evolutionary mechanisms behind this. I'm thinking, oh, they make a lot of sense. Erwin makes a lot of sense. How do I incorporate this in? You know, it's going to be a case by case because, you know, people have different jobs in different uh, positions uh, that they own their own business or that they work for one uh, and uh, with diverse levels of, of freedom. So whatever I'm going to say may work better for some people. You might have the ability to create uh, moments in your day where you will have some movement and you, you will even be able to, why not, create some structures so that you can do specific movements, for instance, climbing uh, or hanging or just hanging. Okay. So the idea, first off, Let's look at what is a typical movement behavior in today's life. And that you will be surprised that this might apply to, to you, whoever is listening. Is that most people will wake up in the morning. And uh, so they've been lying idle all night, obviously, when we sleep. Now let's look at what happens in the mo between the moment we wake up and the moment we go back to bed. And it's going, going to be mostly that we stand up and we're going to go, uh, you know, make breakfast or get coffee or something like that. Um, we're going to be standing. We're going to be walking a few steps and it's going to be in an artificial environment. It means flat, stable. We are then going to, you know, probably you know, take a shower and uh, get ready and then we're going to get to work. So if you work from home, you're going to go sit to your uh, work uh, workplace and you are praying to focus on a screen all day. Um, and then if you go to work, you'll have to commute. So if you commute, either you sit in a car or you sit in a train or you sit in a bus and uh, that's no movement. Then you're going to take an elevator. Uh, you're going to walk a few more steps. Ultimately, you're going to find your way to your desk where you're going to sit. And then you'll have to go back home. Okay. If you don't exercise at all. Pretty much all you're going to do all day is to sit and sit always the same way. It means 
on elevated surfaces with your, your legs down, uh, not on the floor, which is very different. It's a healthier way to sit. And you will also walk a few steps and stand sometime, but that's pretty much going to be your physical behavior of the day, of the entire day. And you're going to do that every day. So what's in there? Standing, sitting. Standing, walking a few steps, sitting. What about the environment? The environment is always the same. Okay, well, no, I'm not in different places. It doesn't matter. The environment is the same. From my perspective, it's the same because it's flat. It's predictable. It's stable. Therefore, there is no stimulation. There's no stimulation to the way you step, to diverse environments, to uh, surfaces being slippery, being unstable, being, you know, changing, being unknown, where you have to adapt. This is a big part of natural movement. It's not just the movement you do, it's where you do them. If you go exercise, you might go to the gym, okay, you hit the gym. What are you going to do? You're going to sit more to exercise. You're going to sit to do a leg extension. You're going to sit to do bench press You're gonna, or even lay down on your back. You're going to sit to do, uh, uh, you know, uh, pulls and, and things like that. You're going to sit for the most part. And no fun because you're isolating your muscles. You're not moving naturally. So here's what I what I, I prescribe. Whenever you're gonna sit, you're gonna try to sit on the floor instead. If you have to go to work, just then forget about it because it's very likely that your work will not allow you any kind of diverging behavior where you could be kneeling with your laptop. But if that is a possibility, then just take that freedom because that's very unique. Uh, but if you don't have that, that uh that possibility then you have to wait to be home or to go to a park or to go to some place where you can exercise and where you can move naturally. So if you're home, uh, you work from a laptop. Right now I have a laptop, so I'm going to lift my laptop and I'm going to show that I'm actually, I've been in a squat position where I can also sit and I'm showing, I just showed it on the video, uh, is that I've been doing that interview sitting, but sitting with my legs at, at the same level at rear level, which is very good for mobility, and then I've been squatting also. Um, you want to hang, you want to uh, move on all fours. Maybe if you get yourself a 2x4 board, which is just uh, I don't know, $5 from, uh, from some place, you can do uh, balancing movements. There's tons of movements that we can uh, show you that you can learn for free on movenat.com or on our YouTube channel video. Um, that will give you insights, and in my book for sure, um, a lot of movements. They are low intensity, they are simple, but it's not about the big things first. It's about doing the simplest movements, like the deep squat, like hanging, like kneeling, like moving on all fours, like some uh, uh, super low intensity jumping and landing and balancing. If you were to do a little of that every day as often as you can, that would already literally change your life. It will change your, your mobility, your strength. It will change your coordination, your balance. It will change your alertness, your mental focus. That's, I think those are very practical tips. And for, and I, I must admit that it, it, once you create the environment around you to make it easy, it's actually very incorporatable into, I think, uh, most people's lifestyles. So at our office, we have a pull-up bar, we let people sit on the floor. I mean, we're, we're right, and it's just like I know a lot of my colleagues will just like 
sit on the ground or uh, for myself, I, I mean, I like that you're just deep squatting as you're doing this interview. You just hang out in a squat for a little bit and then you talk to people that have never sat in a squat before and they're like, how could you even do that? It's like, wow, you are so inflexible to the point where you can't even hold a deep squat or, or, or even just hang on the pull-up bar for a little bit, right? Like just hang on a pull-up bar when you're on a call or you're finished an email, you take, you take a one minute break just to go hang on a pull-up bar just for that 30 seconds or one minute. And why is it that anybody's listening? What are we doing really? We're questioning normalcy. That's what we're doing. We're questioning what is otherwise completely unquestioned because it is unnoticed to begin with. You don't question, you question what you notice. You don't question what you don't notice. And that's the, that's, it's just like delusion, right? When you say that person is delusional. Okay, well, you acknowledge that that person does not realize. It does not even come to their own awareness. What is it that they're saying or doing? Go through our and I think it's so, so obvious to thoughts, us. With patterns in our mind, in our emotions, in our work, and in our body that are unquestioned because they're deemed normal. And because they're deemed normal, because that means everybody does it the same way. So we don't notice. We don't notice. And if we don't notice, we don't question them. When how do we know if they're good or bad? How do we know how how relevant those 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 patterns are? Um, we don't. So that's what we're doing. We're questioning, guys. In the end, just you know, choose and uh, embrace what works for you, what you want to experiment. If it's new to you. 100%. I think one way to maybe make it in a more of engineering terms is just really thinking about it from first principles. Why do we assume that the status quo is right? Where did that come from? I think you and I are just both asking the question, if you just think from evolutionary or ancestral first principles, whether that's from evolutionary biology or, or biomechanics, or just thinking, okay, what does a tiger, what does a dolphin, what does an eagle do uh, for movement? And how do we translate that to humans? I think you're exactly spot on. We're just asking the question and then from first principles deriving what that implies and how that's different from uh, from current society and current best practices. Um, one thing that I've been talking a lot about as I talk to elite performers in sports and in defense is the notion of a norm where really we only have biomarkers and the reference ranges for all these blood markers and all, all these movements, it just really in the last 50, 100 years. And the average human today is probably, and I think you reference this nicely in your book, which is not politically correct to say, is that the average human today is physically defective or physically de deranged compared to what we theoretically should be. It's not politically correct, but I think I'm okay maybe, you know, I, I think you've said, I mean, you stated in the book, I, and I think it is not necessarily nice to admit that, hey, people are not very fit, but just look at the data. A third of Americans are pre-diabetic, diabetic. Two-thirds of us are obese and overweight. It's just like that. that's not politically correct, but that's a fact that's like harming all of civilization and society. Like, what do you think about that? How do you respond to that? How do we change the discourse where it's like, hey, this not might be the most pleasant news, but there needs to be some conversation about this. What's the point? If you want to uh, hear uh, facts that can be inconvenient, but where you know that there are solutions in the end, that if you do start to implement them, you will improve your life, then maybe you start to pay attention. Um, if you're overweight and uh, you can feel, if you're happy with it, I mean, if, you're, if it doesn't bother you, um, uh, 
it's not aesthetically obviously uh, if you that if it doesn't uh, feel to you that it's an issue with your health then just you know by all means just stay where you are you know judgment does not help anybody judging or being judged does not help anyone everybody in this society in modern in this modern lifestyle has to struggle in some way and to some extent because of the way it's because the way normalcy is designed for us to live and think and work and eat that again is supposed to be normal that's that goes in question and that makes us suffer that does not enable us to thrive and that's a fact and that is if saying that is politically incorrect i don't care i don't care most people are overweight most people are have diabetes like you said more most people are depressed and they are the same way they are hormonally out of whack they are also emotionally wrecked and everybody puts a smile on the face because you got to keep going right so though there's not a single aspect of judgment in anything i said those are just general observations anyone who is listening to your show is a person who has already make that made sorry that realization and who is trying to find solutions that they can apply to their life that are practical enough and they're going to make a change and a positive change because the goal for us all is to thrive is to feel good is to have a great life there's no other point is to enjoy who we are to enjoy that that experience or that succession of experiences that which we call life our life our precious life and so the the price to pay to live a better life is to dare to question normalcy and if that's going to be called politically incorrect then be it do it and feel free for 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 whoever sake free yourself from that because that that culture like a uh, mckenna terence mckenna said culture is not your friend it is not so dare to question what is normal dare to experiment on yourself things that are not not deemed normal and you might be on your way on the path to thrive life it is the the practice of energy at every level So what do you think you're doing when you're eating differently? Well, it's for my metabolism, it's not for my physiologist. No, it's for your energy. What are you trying to do when you meditate, when you do a breathing exercise, when you try to think positive? You're trying to change your energy. You may put everything in a different box, in a different compartment, but in the end, you're trying to learn how to master your energy so you can thrive. that's what it is about so natural movement is a huge pillar in that it's a huge foundation in that because the same way if you plunk a dolphin in a pool with no distance no space no depth no currents and chlorine and you feed them 
dead fish, you bet that that dolphin is going to start to decline, to be depressed, to be physiologically weak, and eventually it's going to die. And it's absolutely crazy that we human beings have enabled ourselves to survive in the overall environment that is so convenient and so safe in so many ways, but also so brutal and so unhealthy and so toxic in so many other ways, and that we've made ourselves survive in that environment. Well said, and I think beautifully said, especially around stating the fact, questioning normalcy, but there's no judgment from you or, or, or myself either. I think it's all about empowering, educating, and hopefully a little bit of inspiration, but there's no judgment. And I think that's absolutely the critical point here. Just really shining the light of truth and data and evidence and helping people make their own decisions on life. And I think you're absolutely right. If you're happy, you're happy. It's great. There's no, I like everyone can live their own individual life, but if there's some way to improve themselves, listen to a conversation like these where you can be nuanced, have discussion, dive into some techniques and new thoughts and let yourself explore and, and, and be a little bit more instinctual and return to some of the natural movements. I think that's really well said. One of the things I wanted to discuss with you was you have a large section of your book focused on breath. And I have to admit that that's been an area of exploration that I've had less experience with. Obviously, we've, you know, people have heard of perhaps the Wim Hof method for withstanding colds. Breath work is, you know, a technique that different cultures of practice over time. I'm curious from your perspective, um, what is natural movement or natural breathing? Can you help uh, at least shine a light for, for me and my listeners um, how you think about breath and breathing and, 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 and really how that affects the cellular respiration, right? I mean, that's just oxygen being a core part of energy production. How does it all tie together for you? My, my view on it is very simple. It's just like uh, running or, or jumping. What I mean by that is that when you look at the way most people breathe, um, for the most part, it has become inefficient. And um, because it's too shallow, it's too fast, uh, most of the time uh, people breathe through the mouth instead of being through the nose. And um, they, so what we teach is we teach to breathe abdominally, to breathe through the nose, and to breathe slowly and deeply. And uh, then, not just to breathe, again, as a new compartment, it's like an additional chore. It's not an additional chore. Breathing is what you do all the time. Now, it's very important also in movement practice and in movement performance, Um, obviously, for diverse reasons of in regard of athleticism, in regard of how you recover, how you perform. Breathing regulates your emotions or help at least regulating your emotions. It helps you just oxygenate the whole body, which means most importantly the brain, which helps with alertness, which helps with clarity of your thoughts. Again, I was underlining that life is the practice of energy at every level. It involves what you eat, it involves how you sleep, it involves uh, how you breathe, obviously, how you move, how you think, all of that. 
every 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 aspect plays a part um and it can be hard to take care of every part but eventually if you really want to thrive in your life you'll have to do it you'll have to learn all of it and to practice all of it yep and i think that's where the progression for all of us starts somewhere right like i think for me that started off with cognitive performance and then it went to nutrition and fasting and then the the rabbit hole goes everywhere where humans are complex systems if you nudge one input or one node in this complex system it starts affecting everything else everything starts cascading to everything else and i think if you one is serious about this craft of living a well a well-lived life then you you must you must think about every single the, the whole system as a whole and i think that's where i i like your philosophy where you think about everything in one holistic context we're not just this one consumption machine we're not just an exercise machine we're this living breathing dynamic system um that goes through this journey of life when you realize okay i need to acquire that other skill set now or that you know that particular skill because that's going to be game changer if i can learn to master this then i'll be able to provide this and that and i'm going to thrive with my with my business or with my job um if you apply this if you see this as a metaphor for your life eat and how to do everything in your life obviously you're not a baby anymore right so you have that autonomy but autonomy alone is not enough uh you want to you want to remaster you want to thrive so um what you talked about in your absolutely uh on point is that we all have an entry point there's always an entry point. For some, it's going to be nutrition. For others, it's going to be fitness. For others, it's going to be uh, maybe uh, breathing and meditation. Or some other ways, whatever, biohacking, whatever. There's going to be one point of interest that you're going to start to put your mind in some time, maybe some money into, to learn something that you expect some improvement from. Uh, but eventually, it's hard to not want to look at the big picture. And you realize, okay, the way I ate was not, it was normal, but it was not good for me. It was not healthy. Now I eat. I still have a normal life. I eat better. I eat healthy. And I am the healthiest that I've ever been. And I feel great. And that helps me with my work also. Okay. Now maybe you, you may start looking at other ways, other aspects of your lifestyle that are waiting for you to address them and to make a change and commit to some changes and reap the rewards and get the improvements and be a just feel better do better live better have better energy in your life that's called that's called lifestyle and i thought one thing that you said that i thought was interesting was that uh oftentimes i think in the modern cultural context there seems to be uh malaise or depression with a lot of individuals where there's a lack of purpose or meaning or this and i think you you, sp you spoke to it there's this uh, it feels like there's like a modern depression this postmodern depression of not having uh something purposeful to, to do or meaning to do and i'm curious as you're transitioning your thinking into in terms of lifestyle and cognition and overall spirit or, or, or soul or happiness and whatever words that we want to describe that, that sense of purpose. Um, yeah, I want to just kick you off on that path, incorporating 
cognitive performance, incorporating uh, depression, happiness, meaning, um, and how you think about that as part of the, the overall movement and lifestyle? Physical activity on the brain, on brain function, are, you know, they've been established already. Uh, so basically, if you hit the gym and do some exercise, it's going to already boost your cognition. It's going to boost your, your brain a bit, which is good. Uh, it's going to relax you, endorphins and things like that. Uh, it's going to help neurogenesis, which is the, you know, how you regenerate basically your neurons. Um, exercise, any kind, is going to do that for you. So you can't go wrong. It doesn't matter if you do push-ups, uh, crunches, uh, jog around the, the block. It doesn't matter. Now, here's the opposite thinking of that, is that any time you spend not moving, you're doing something wrong to your brain, basically. The original reason for having a brain that neural scientists will explain to you is not for so that you can have, you can be efficient or productive at your, at your job, or that we can talk about abstract concepts. Originally, the very, very reason for having a brain is so that you can, is for locomotion. And that's why plants, we don't know if plants have a consciousness or not, but what's for sure is that they don't have a brain. Plants and trees don't have a brain because they may move or be moved as they grow, as they're pushed by the wind, things like that, but they don't go from point A to point B and having to deal with obstacles and variability in environments, which is what animals do. So the tiniest creature that floats in the ocean and that is still like a, a little, consider a little animal because it's got a tiny brain and then eventually finds a rock where it's going to stick to the rock, it's going to be its new home, then it won't stop, it won't, it won't move anymore. At this point, that little creature is going to First thing, it's going to dissolve its tiny brain for food. Because the, that tiny brain has become useless. Now, understanding that we have a brain so that we can move naturally, means we can move in adaptable ways, ways that are adapted to the environment. You have so much calculations to do when you move through nature. Basically, you become a fortune teller. You have to say, okay, I want to go there, I want to be there, I have to do those steps, I have to do those movements, I have to deal with that. And then as you touch the environment where you move, there's so much information that goes from your senses to your brain that you have to, your brain has to process so that you don't fall and hurt yourself, so that you're successful at avoiding the threats and as, you know, getting the opportunities you need to stay alive. This is a very complex process. Today, you just order food by clicking, and then you get your food delivered. You don't need movement if you want to feed yourself. When you sit, when all you do is sitting all day, it's detrimental to your cognition. You know, it's not enough to say, oh, exercise is good for you, so do some exercise, because when you do so, it will boost cognition. It will, it will be good for your cognition, for your brain, for brain function. That's great. But it also indicates that if movement is good for you, idleness, physical idleness, is not neutral. Physical idleness is detrimental to recognition. 
because you don't have the original boost. You know, you cannot deny biology. You can't dismiss it, but you cannot deny it. So if you dismiss biology, your biological needs, then you can, for instance, dismiss that um, you need a certain type of food or that you need a certain type of physical expression to thrive. So it will not uh, seem anything to you that you're going to eat processed food all day. And you, you're like, okay, well, I know that some healthy food, fresh food is good for me, but I just want my, my bad food. It's not just that healthy food is good for you. It's obviously you understand that processed food and healthy food is not neutral to you. It's detrimental to you. So, so is physical idleness. Physical idleness is detrimental to you. It's detrimental to you, not just to your physiology. There's a reason why you have problem deep holding a deep squat or running or doing all these movements without pain or without being completely sore the next day or without losing balance and being clumsy. The reason why you can you cannot do all these movements is because physical idleness has already been detrimental to your function, to your physiological function, to your strength, to all of it, to your mobility, to your coordination, and to your brain. Because coordination is about the brain. It's about the central nervous system, the cerebellum, what, whichever part of your brain is specifically dedicated to ensuring movement. Now, why is natural movement good for brain function. All, if we understand that any physical activity is good for brain function, why, then why not do any physical activity? Why do, brain, uh, why do natural movement? If the reason why you have a brain is for adaptable movement through, com through complex environments, it makes sense that having the behavior, maintaining the behavior, which is natural movement through complex environments, is going to maintain your cognition at the highest level because that's the original reason why you have a brain. If you do no movement, obviously you won't have those benefits and on top of that you will have a detriment of it. But if you do a regular kind of fitness which does not demand from you, which is from your brain, that you adapt your movement to those complex environments, then you won't have the same benefits as well. So which, what are the benefits? The benefits are not just neurogenesis. Neurogenesis is regenerating neurons. You have that for any kind of movements you do. But when you do movements, which is any natural movement, where you have to adapt to the environment, and that environment can be as simple as stepping on a 2x4, balancing on 2x4, or having to hang from a rope, from a bar, from whatever. What happens when you do that is that you receive information from, from the environment, through your hands, through your body, through your feet, that your brain has to process so that it does not lose balance, it doesn't fall, it doesn't hurt itself. The preservation of physical integrity is number one in nature. If you get hurt, it's very likely going to be the next prey, or you're just not going to be able to procure food. So... To not hurt yourself is extremely important. How do you not hurt yourself when you move through complex environments? The brain has to be extremely skilled as operating your body. The body does not operate itself. The, bar the body does not move itself. 
intention moves the body. And then intention and cognition makes the body move efficiently. And efficient, efficiency movement is not just about the performance. It's also about avoiding the threats, avoiding the injuries. So moving naturally forces you to be in the here now. You have not the luxury to think about something else, to, to say, do some exercise, say, writing on an elliptical, while you think about something else in a different place at a different time. When you move naturally, you're absolutely forced to be in the here and now, because if you don't pay attention, then you fall and you hurt yourself. So that is when the benefits for the brain are optimal crazy boost of your of your cognition now it works especially it has been proven scientifically by a, a study that has been done on working memory and working memory is much more important that than iq working memory is how how well how efficiently you process information um so how you make sense of the information you receive from, from around you, from people that talk to you, from, from things you see, from things you read, um, and how you can process that. So they did that, that study with three groups. One group did natural movement. One group did yoga. The third group did nothing. And then after they, they did that, um, then they took the, um, the working memory test. As you would expect, the group that did nothing did not score better. As you would not expect, not imagine, the group who did yoga did not score better. Only the group who did natural movement. There were two uh, exercises to it. They were hanging and kind of climbing around a tree. And then they were balancing exercises on your feet. Fascinating. I'm, I'm surprised that the yoga group didn't improve over control. I know. So I'm not. And let, let me explain to you why. Um, because I talked to actually a, a, a researcher many years ago um, who, uh, who works on that, works on, on cognition in relation to uh, exercise and stuff. And, and, and I remember it was eight years ago. And I said already in an email, I said, wouldn't it make sense to you that if any kind of exercise boosts uh, cognition, uh, cognition, neuro, neurogenesis at least. Would it make sense that movement that is more, or physical exercise that is more challenging to the brain because you have to be engaged mentally more to do the movement as opposed to just do it mechanically, you know, mechanistically? Um, which is basically mindlessly the way it is done in most gyms, right? With machines. It does not ask you to pay attention, just ask you to count to 10 and do a movement. And that's it. So that's not really stimulating to the brain. Now, when you have to pay attention because of the environment, because of the very nature of the movements and the very nature of where the movement is done, you are not asked to think. Thinking is way too slow and inaccurate to handle your movement. But you need to pay attention. You need to be mindful. So why is it that yoga would not score as much and actually would not improve working memory at all? Well, it's for the same reason that when you exercise with a machine, you don't have to think, but you also don't have to pay attention. Now, when you do yoga, you're supposed to be mindful. You're supposed to pay attention. And 
And probably a good practitioner is mindful and is paying attention. But does that mean that paying attention alone is going to uh, boost cognition and working memory? Well, not necessarily. Because paying attention to what? You're paying attention to movements that are not real movements. There are positions that you hold that are pre-designed. You know exactly how to do them. And they are not interacting with any challenging environment. Basically, you're in a flat, stable environment. Yeah, I would think that probably there's some signal from intentionality or, or mindfulness of the movements. And I think you're exactly spot on for a lot of people when they go to the gym, they have their headphones on, they're listening to the music, they're on their fixed position machines, and they're just like mindlessly not even thinking about the intentionality of the movement. And you could... Okay, but what about yoga, Jeff? What about yoga? Yeah, yeah. Because like you could say yoga is, is crazy intentional. It's deliberate practice, mindful practice. So why is it that it's not boost? Yeah, no, I think that's an interesting point. So I think there could be, again, just from a devil's advocate perspective or as a someone criticizing the protocol, it'd be interesting to understand if the yoga practitioners were intentional or they're following the movement. Is that a signal or your argument, which is you need some stimulus that's unpredictable where you have things that stimulate much more of intentionality, of forced intentionality, the forced stimulus of being surprised. That's the extra stimulus. And I can understand and I can buy the argument. and adaptability. Exactly. So like I can see from a natural movement perspective, you're really forcing unpredictability, which is another precursor for the cognitive benefit. But I would say that that's an interesting thesis. And I think overall, if within the literature, Exercise is has been shown to increase BDNF, absolutely has been shown to increase neurogenesis. And I'm just through this conversation, it's very interesting to understand you know, what are the primal mechanisms of actions that drives that. And I think you bring an interesting thesis that the spontaneity, the adapt, adaptability of being in a natural environment through natural movement might be a very important precursor or requisite to trigger the most benefit of cognitive performance for uh, from exercisers, I think is an interesting point. It, it is not to say that, um, I mean, the, um, there's obviously uh, values and benefits of yoga practice to the body and to the mind, but they are not in working memory. And if you what you want is to be um, very productive and creative in your work, working memory is what you want. And um, uh, you also need, okay, well, I need clarity, I need, I need, uh, you know, mindfulness. I need, I need that, and the yoga can give me that. Yes, yoga will give you that, but I, so will natural movement. That's the thing, is that when you practice natural movement uh, through the movement method to be as efficient as you can, you have to be very intentional about being efficient. So you're basically very mindful about the way you do the movement and the environment where you do the movement, and this, uh, you know, it, again resets your that mind-body connection to its original uh, mode and original purpose, which is adaptability. There is little adaptability and actually no adaptability in yoga because the pauses are pre-designed and the environment does not change and is flat and stable and predictable. Therefore, you can close your eyes and be in the sensations that occur within and focused on your breath and all of that. This is great. You'll have all of that with natural movement plus the stimulation of the environment and the 
challenge of interacting efficiently and safely with an environment will boost your cognition to to much greater levels. I'm curious to get your thoughts just broadly and, and, and maybe challenge the notion of adaptability, adaptability in, 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 in a quick way. So what if there's a devil's advocate that says, we should just be specialized, specialized, specialized. If I'm a computer programmer, I'm a computer engineer, um, I don't need to be physically healthy. I don't need uh, to be flexible. I don't need to be able to have to do movements. All I need to do is have my brain be able to pump out code. Or if I really want to win and be an Olympic archer and win a gold medal for archery, I have that very same motion of you know drawing a bow and releasing and being stable. Who cares if I have flexibility in my legs. Again, I'm not an archer, so I don't know if there's any subtleties beyond that, but I just need to focus on that one specialized movement. Um, what is your response to that? Is that just a, just a different goal here? Because um, being super specialized to win an artificial game, whether that's winning an archery gold medal or being a really good computer programmer, is that specialization valuable in of itself to win an arbitrary game? And it's a different goal from what you espouse with natural movement or, uh, or, or something just more broadly applicable where even people that want to specialize, uh, is there value in being adaptable and having that cross training, if you will? Have you ever heard of anybody having an epiphany, like a spiritual epiphany while coding? And I would suspect that it happens. I would suspect that it may happen to some people finding themselves coding and entering a, self, a state of flow and being transported in a level of awareness that never, they've never experienced before. That's a possibility. This is what happens usually when you, when you specialize. Um, there are so many uh, good reasons to specialize. Um, you can reach levels of, of mastery, levels, levels of performance that are deeply satisfying. I would never say anything bad about specialization. It is thanks to specializations that so many discoveries have been made, so many improvements have been made. It depends on what your goals are and depends on what your value system is. What is your value system? For me, I enjoy more. I enjoy being a, a generalist more in my life. I enjoy feeling, uh, being and knowing that I'm comfortable. Uh, I could. So right now, this is what I'm looking at. And I'm turning my laptop. This is what I'm looking at. And this is the ocean. Um, I know that I can have a philosophical discussion. I know that I can just go spearfish and get my fish uh, later this afternoon. I know that I can go sell, sell on boat if I want. I know that I can go and run. I know that I, um, uh, my wife and children are going to be back soon and that I will enjoy my family. I know that uh, I enjoy a successful business. I know that I've, I speak diverse languages. The way I look at specialization is temporarily. So if there is a new subject that I want to learn about or a new skill that I want to acquire, I'm going to specialize. I'm going to specialize long enough to where I reach the point where I know enough about a subject or I have a skill I'm decent enough at a skill, and uh, and that's that's enough for me. I know that I will not get to know everything in my life or to acquire every possible skill, 
And I know that even if I were to pursue one single skill, I may not become the best in the world at it. So it doesn't really matter. Um, what you choose to do and the way you choose to do it, it really has everything to do with the experience that you invite in your life. And this is for everyone to decide what is it that makes them happy or satisfied. In the end, by which we call life is really that experience. It's a success, succession of experience. And the more, usually what you would call being successful in life, is to know that you can actually have the experiences that you desire and that you invite. And you can have them often or frequently. And that they are positive, they are healthy, they are satisfying. And that, that's what it is. So find your own, you know, everybody will find their own way. Yeah, beautiful thought. I can't think of a better way to wrap up with that other than that beautiful sentiment. But I do want to leave a little bit of a moment for last question and last thoughts here. So we're in the beginning of 2020. What are you excited about for this upcoming year? Um, and then secondly, um, in terms of how you plan on bringing the space forward. Um, so the now is really important. And uh, I don't like to transport myself too far in the future because I don't even know if I'll be there, honestly. So the now, the now, the now is really what matters. Uh, am I working on stuff and projects? Yes. Um, there's going to be naturalmovement.com uh, platform for uh, online courses, natural movement online courses. I'm working on that. So I'm looking forward to this. But uh, I am not overly obsessed or consumed by thinking about the future. Uh, the future will stem from what I'm doing now. So the way I feel now and how, how satisfied I am and happy I am with what I'm doing now, this is what matters. I'll give you just one example. For instance, medical technology. Everybody's, we're always looking for the new technology that's going to cure this and cure that. And that's great. But while we're doing, we're busy doing that, people are busy living less and less healthily, which causes more and more health problems. So all health stats are going down. We're not getting healthier. We're just getting better and better medical technology and assistance. What does that mean? It means that we're creating for ourselves an environment where we're more and more in a state of survival because the only reason we stay alive since we're getting we're becoming less and less healthy is because technology is getting better and better at making us survive. And that's a huge problem, right? So I totally invite all the, the great discoveries and, and technologies that we could all benefit from. But at the same time, if nobody is really doing their job on living healthily, then what's the point? If we find solutions to clean the oceans, that's fantastic. But if nothing is done to stop trashing the ocean, then it doesn't it doesn't change much. So that's that's the idea for me is uh, changing behaviors, changing the way we live. Uh, is simply looking at what we already know that works and that should be implemented. We could collect countless, as in millions of new discoveries, new technologies, new knowledge, new insights, 
but it's really about the application. So to lessen to insights is completely useless. And every insight is useless until it's been applied and turned into a reality which you can experience. And until you do that, insights are useless. They are sterile. You are the person who's going to be able to bring those insights to life through your own experience. And it starts only when you apply yourself. Beautiful. Well said. Thank you so much for the conversation, Erwin. I think this is very insightful and very inspirational. Hopefully, we can have a follow-up conversation to dive into much more of the nuance here. But then again, thank you for your time. And again, I think it's a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. Likewise. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you, Jeff. If you're interested to learn more about HVMN, visit www.hvmn.com slash pod. Thank you for tuning in.